get offended. What are we to do? And so John's going to give us, um, I think, some pretty cool um, basic guidelines on how to just do this thing we all call community, do this thing we all call church. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word of God. We thank you for the man of God that John is. Lord, we thank you that uh, we're actually doing this together. Lord, that we have been blessed by having John and Daniela be part of our community. What an honor it is uh, to have people of this caliber to call friend, to call brother and co-laborer. Jesus, we open our hearts uh, to the message. We open our hearts to the man, and we open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. Instruct us, Lord, and do something remarkable in our lives. All this we pray in your son's name. I was just laughing because, um, yeah, I was originally going to deal with some of the practicals, but the Lord kind of led me in a different direction. <laughs> so um, I'm leaving that. I'm going to shove that off to Bennett. Um, he's going to have an awesome message on, uh, I, I do believe he, he was talking to me about it, the practicals of forgiveness and offense and what that looks like in community. Um, but the Lord was leading me in a slightly different direction, so hopefully we can get some uh, practicals out of this this morning. Um, but uh, yeah, the topic today is love, so let's just dive right into the Word. Um, open up to First John. Now, First John is is basically the love book. If First Corinthians thirteen is the love chapter, First John is basically the love book of the Bible. Um, but let's go to First John chapter four, verses seven through eleven. And this text is going to anchor our entire time together. But this is really just a snapshot of John. John will repeat these verses over and over and over again. Uh, And so this is just a sampling of the entire book. Uh, But I'll be reading out of the ESV for the slides. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it says this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another." There's two themes that I want us to kind of draw out of this text uh, this morning. And the first is that the primary mark of the true believer, the primary identifying characteristic of the true follower of Christ is love. It's very clear throughout Scripture. Uh, I, I like this message because it's very easy for me because the Bible is just so clear. There's no way to wriggle yourself around it. Love is preeminent for the life of the believer, and we see that throughout Scripture. Uh, but in verse 7, so 1 John 4, 7, it says, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And so John, right there, he ties being born again, and he ties knowing God inextricably to love, right? That whoever loves, you know them because, uh, or, or whoever is born of God and knows God, that they are the people that love, right? That identifies those that are born of God. And this is a theme that he actually will address throughout the book. 
And so you can maybe just flip back a page to 1 John 3, just to give you a sampling here. 1 John 3, 14, it says this. It's even more, he takes it to the next level here. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And so what John says is, we know we've gone from death into life because we love the brothers. It's our love for our brothers and sisters that marks that transition from death into life, right? In other words, how do you know if someone has been resurrected from the death of their sins into eternal life in Christ? How do you know if someone has fully submitted their lives to the lordship of Jesus? It's do they love their brothers and sisters? It's the primary mark of the believer, do they ha are they marked by the tender love of Christ where they're just walking around and they're carrying the love of Christ in them? That's how you know if you've passed from death into life. It's not, you know, how many, how many uh, Sundays do you come to church a month or how much do you tithe, right? The, the, the defining characteristic of the one that goes from death to life is are they marked by the tender love of Christ? Uh, and this is, again, this is very clear. There's, there's no way you can get around this and say, you know, uh, I'm sort of rude to my wife or I'm just kind of always getting annoyed at my friends, but hey, at least I do missions. Like, there's no way to get around this because throughout Scripture, it's very clear. So, for instance, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, you all know this. Paul says, you know, it doesn't matter what spiritual gifts you have, even if you have the highest form of prophecy and, like, know everything, Right? Even if you deliver your body up to be burned, which in our context would be praying and fasting for revival. Even if you do all of those things, if you don't have love, you're nothing. You don't actually have anything. Right? Why? Because the primary mark of the true follower of Jesus is are you marked by love? And then uh, Jesus says the same thing. He says the same thing. Matthew 22, the greatest commandment, you all know that, right? You, uh, what is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you shall love your neighbor on your, as yourself. And Jesus says this remarkable thing, which is that on these two commandments hang all of the law and all the prophets. So basically, this entire book... Anything we could possibly believe, any doctrine we can have, any commandment that we say, God, we want to obey you in, if it's not rooted and grounded in love, it becomes nothing. It becomes meaningless because all of this depends on the law of love. And so it's very clear, again, it's, it's uh, just so clear throughout Scripture, the primary mark of the believer is love. Uh, but that's actually just the... Uh, I really felt like the Lord was asking me to, to bring something else out today because I think, you know, our community, I think, I think we know that love is important. I, need, I think none of us would say that, you know, it's not. Uh, and I think the question for us today is, what is it that actually produces that love inside of us? You know, how do we grow in love? And so I was crying out to the Lord and I was just uh, praying and I said, God, what do you want Hilltop Church to learn about love? What is it that you want us to know about love as a community? And I don't know. I don't even remember exactly how it happened. But uh, I felt like the Spirit of God just like 
spoke to me with like this laser into my heart. And he just said this. I guess it's a paraphrase. But he just said this. He said, John, just look at me. Just gaze upon my white, hot, fiery love for you. And in that moment, I was just, I don't know if you guys have these experiences when you just like, God gives you an answer which you're like, it's totally out of left field. Like I was like, I was asking about Hilltop Church. Why are you telling me to look at you right now? That's, I was asking for something else. But uh, man, I just, I just went into this like, just weeping and dancing and laughing before the Lord and just encountering his love. And uh, I believe it's because there's something that the Lord wants to reveal to us about how we grow in love. Because uh, going back to 1 John 4, uh, verse 8, it says this. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And I... Why the, I feel like the why the Lord was trying to reveal himself to me is that the diagnosis in 1 John here is that, okay, why is there a lack of love in our hearts? It's because of a lack of knowledge. It's because, and he says, whoever does not know God because God is love. We lack knowledge about how much God loves us. And that's why we lack love in our hearts. And that's why I believe the Lord was like, just stare at me. Just look at the perfection of my love. Just look at my tender love for you, John. And he was speaking right to me, you know. And, and so as I was praying, uh, and I had been, been thinking about this for several days at that point, but um, I loved um, Gary's teaching on, on the, um, the heir mentality versus orphan mentality. And the line that just got me from that, that PowerPoint, um, and you know, you hear these truths all the time in the charismatic church, and, and just sometimes they take root in a different way, you know? Uh, but the line that got me was just that the heir needs to believe that God is crazy about them, that he is just crazy in love with me. And for the next couple of days, I don't know, I just, it just began to bubble up inside of me and take root where I was like, wow, like, God is crazy about me. That is amazing. Like, he's so excited about me. He's so proud of me. He, 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 he loves when I, he, he's so eager to meet me in the morning when I wake up. And, and when I, I mean, Psalm 139, when I, when I lie down to go to sleep, he, he knows everything about me. He knows he's well acquainted with my ways, it says. And I was like, wow. And I, and I just like, um, you know, I, I can imagine like God just like, this is, I don't know if this happens, but, you know, God boasting about me in front of, you know, the angelic hosts and he's like, or the great cloud of witnesses. And he's like, hey, Moses, look, that's John. <laughs> he's my son. I'm so excited about him. And I know everything that he does, and that just ple- that is ple- that is well pleasing to my heart. You know, I know that he goes to Hilltop Church and he plays the drums and he jumps up and down is really loud and and I know that uh, Matt Harlan calls him John Chosen and he doesn't like that. And I know that Peter is always getting on his case about working out and he doesn't like that either and. But he just knows everything about me. And he's just so excited. And he's like, look, that's my son. 
That's my son. That's my boy. I love him. And uh, I was, you know, I was just jumping up and down. Like I said, yeah, he knows that about me. I was just jumping up and down in my living room. Thankfully, Danielle is in Mexico right now, so she didn't have to witness that. Then I realized, if God is crazy in love about me, that means he's crazy in love about you guys, too. Like, every single one of you this morning that is in the family of Christ, he's just crazy in love over you. Now, what does that mean? That means it must so grieve the Lord when we gossip When we just, we just criticize, you know, our brothers and our, we have a brother or sister that's struggling. We're like, why can't they just get it together? Why can't they just come to church on Sundays? What are they doing? And we just become the voice of accusation. And I was just like, how much must that grieve the heart of the Lord? You know, because here we are, we're like, oh, that person has this problem, that person has that. And the Lord's like, but no, that's my son. That's my daughter. He's my creation. He looks like me. I know everything about him. He's my favorite. How can you say that about him? How can you say that about her? Don't you know the work that I'm doing in their lives? Don't you know that my son lives inside of him, inside of her? Don't you know that she's the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know these things? And it's like, how can we... How can we turn around and just begin to criticize and, and judge and just say, oh, you know, that person, why do they have this kind of personality and get irritated? You know, because if we realize, if, if God is crazy about me, that means he's crazy about you. I can't then turn around and say, you know, and be the voice of the accuser. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking about, you know, if, um, now I don't know what I'm talking about in this regard because I don't have kids. Danielle and I don't have kids, so I'm being naive. But, uh, you know, I was just thinking about if, if, you know, when Danielle and I have kids, I I would imagine that we'd be proud of them, right? You know, and, and put up their pictures on Facebook and brag about them. One thing that drives me, and again, I'm naive, but one thing that freaks me out personally is that if God gives us the gift of children, that they'll look like us. That is so weird. You know, like, it's like half my face, half Daniela's face. It's like, but like, that's like how God sees us. He's like, they look like they have my image. Wow. Right? And, and I, you know, I, I was just like, you know, we'll have kids. And as I was thinking of this illustration, I was like, yeah, maybe we'll cheer them on at the sports games. And then I was like, actually, me and Daniela, no. <laughs> well, our kids won't play sports knowing us. But I was like, the analogy I came up with was, you know, my dad, by, by the way, shout out to my dad. He's actually here this morning. Uh, the original Mr. Cho. Uh, but, you know, this is what my parents did for me is I can imagine if we had kids, you know, they would, um, 
they would play music, obviously. They'd play instruments. So I'd go to their orchestra concerts. And uh, I, w I, I played the viola when I was in fourth and fifth grade. And, and uh, um, my parents came to my concerts. And if you know anything about fourth graders playing vi viola, it's awful. It just sounds so bad. But I can imagine like me looking at my kids and being like, that is amazing. You know, like, that's the best violin player ever, you know? That's what my parents did for me. But then, like, if I'm so proud of my children, and then all, all of a sudden there's other parents that start coming and criticizing them and judging them, or even more than that, because you got to imagine God knows everything about our hearts. If there was just a, there was a long line of people just standing in line, just waiting to accuse my children, waiting to criticize, waiting to judge, how would that grieve my heart? And God loves us so much more than that as his children. And I think this is what it, this is what it means by, um, and, um, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Right? It, once we recognize how much God loves us, the greatness, the magnitude of the love of the Father, how can we help but love one another? That is just the automatic response of the Christian is, once I recognize, once I encounter the love of the Father in my life, then how can I turn around and judge and criticize? And so this, this verse, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's just something that I, I want us to meditate this morning. Amy was talking about meditation on Wednesday. I want us to meditate together on how great the love of the Father is for us this morning. Once we lock into the Father's love, I mean, it's the automatic response is to love one another. That's the automatic response. And so in meditating on the love of the Father, I just want to focus on three small words, which is, in my opinion, the most surprising fact of the history of the universe. It's the most surprising and mind-blowing fact of the history of the universe. It's three words. It's, first, it's in 1 John 4, 8. We've already read through it, just glossed over it. He says it twice in this chapter. Is these three words, God is love. In my opinion, that is the most surprising thing. If you meditate on the fact that, you know, God didn't have to be love. <laughs> we didn't control who God would be when we came into existence. If we don't understand how surprising the love is, that God is love. Now, John, what he's saying is not only that the primary mark of the believer is love, but also the primary mark of God is love. That that's his primary attribute. It doesn't say he's loving. It's not saying he loves. It's saying he is love itself. That is, in my opinion, the most surprising thing ever if we meditate on that. And I think some, if, if we aren't surprised by that on a daily basis, if that isn't a joyful surprise to us on a daily basis, it's because we have not yet encountered the fullness of God. And so if you don't mind me doing this, I just want to walk through some attributes about God. 
get a sense of his greatness and his fullness this morning because then we'll encounter how, how crazy it is that God, his primary attribute is love because here's some other attributes. Here's some other facts about him. We know from Genesis, he literally created billions of stars just by speaking. Okay, we know from Isaiah 6, he's high and lifted up and the train of his robe fills the temple. Whenever he enters with his presence, the whole place starts shaking and smoke starts coming out of the ground. This is the God we worship this morning. First Timothy says he dwells in unapproachable light. Like, what does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. Second Peter 3, I mean, this is just a random list from the Bible. A thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years to God. Meditate on that. You know what that means is since the time that Jesus came down to this earth until now, it's been two days. Hebrews says that God is an all-consuming fire. You begin to encounter this, the greatness of God, then it becomes surprising that God is love. Because now, again, I'm, I'm big on this meditating thing because Amy was talking about it, and so we're going to do a little imagining today. Um, but when I was praying, and it was that, that I was freaking out in the Lord. <laughs> and I, I wish I could communicate the greatness of love that I felt in that moment. But I just began to think like, man, what if we could just open up the heavens and just get a glimpse into the glory realm, Right? And you just see, what, what, are you, what do you see? You see these thousands upon thousands. It says myriads upon myriads of angels just circling around the throne. You see the seraphim, they're covering their faces and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. You see lightnings and tremblings and you, you begin to have this holy fear and you're like, oh my goodness, who is this God going, to, what is this God going to be like? And you see like the, you see the sea of glass burning with fire. You see the four creatures, the elders throwing down their crowns. 24-7 worship. You are worthy. You are worthy. And you begin to think, who is this God that they're worshiping, right? But then you begin to lift your eyes to the, to the center of the throne room. And you see, who is this God that I worship? I want to see him, and I don't know if this is possible, but you begin to look, you begin to lift your eyes. You begin to look straight at that throne, right? And you begin to peel back the clouds of glory and the thunderings and the lightnings, and, and you have this expectation of what God might be, right? And you begin to look through all of the different aspects, all of the different facets of who God is. And then all of a sudden, as you fix your eyes, it hits you and you're like, who is this? I was expecting a God of wrath, but no, it's the Zephaniah 3 God who sings over me. He has a smile on his face. He's proud of me. You will see the most, on that day when we see him face to face, you will see the most tender expression of love you have ever seen, you have ever laid your eyes on. Paul says in Ephesians 3 that he prays for the Ephesians and he says, or the church of Ephesus, and he says, I pray that you be strengthened in your inner being by the power of the Holy Spirit. For what? So that you may have strength to comprehend the 
length, the breadth, the height, and depth. What does that mean? It means we actually need strength to even comprehend what God's love might be like. We actually need strength and capacity to even believe the love of God. You know, because this is no human love. You know, and we just did a little bit of imagining together. But you know it's going to be far greater. When we see him face to face, it's going to be infinitely greater than anything we could imagine. It's no human love. It's not like a mother and her newborn child, although that's so tender and pure. It's not like the husband and the bride coming down on wedding day because, I mean, that's so pure and tender, but it's only human. You know, the the love of God is so far and beyond. And I mean, just consider the fact that he's a king that died for his subjects. Just think about that. Or he's a creator who died for his creation. He's He's a father that died for his children that were running away. I mean, what kind of love is that? Now, here's the thing. This love, we're not just making this up. It's not a fairy tale. You know, because we have in our hearts, and here's the thing, if you, if you minister to unbelievers, if you evangelize, so many people have this feeling like, I wish what they said were true. But it sounds too good to be true. It just sounds like a fairy tale. But I'm here to tell you this morning that it's no fairy tale. It's nothing that we're just dreaming up for ourselves. In fact, anything we could dream is far less than God's actual love for us. And here, here's, here's, here's why we know, okay? Here's why we know that this is not just a fairy tale. Or, you know, other religions will uh, treat sort of love as kind of a new agey, like an emotion or an impersonal force in nature, you know? And, and in that case, you can't really argue against that because it's not really based in fact, you know? And, and, and you, you have this hope. I wish what they said, I really hope what they said about the Lord is true. But here's the guarantee this morning. 1 John 4, 9, it says this, In this the love of God was made manifest. It wasn't just a good idea. It wasn't just a theory. It says that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, we have a savior that actually came down at a point in history. It's not a fairy tale or a theory. There's a specific moment in time that God manifested the fullness of his love to us. It says in Hebrews 1 that Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of God. Why? Because Jesus is love. Jesus is love on the cross and God is love. When we see Jesus, we see the love of God. He came in flesh and blood as a man. It wasn't just a theory. It wasn't just a good idea. It's not just an impersonal force in nature. We have something that we can put our trust in. And it's that God 
became a man, he sent his son down so that whoever would believe in him shall have eternal life. And that is a historical fact, is not just a fairy tale. I think we have time to go to Luke 15. Um, because as Gary was saying, the parable of the prodigal son is the most profound expression of the father's love for us. So we won't go through the whole thing, but I did want to talk about some of the history here. So Luke 15, 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Give me, the, give me my inheritance, the son said. Now there's this uh, Pentecostal theologian, um, Craig Keener, who writes this about the fact that the son asked for his share of the inheritance, says this, to ask one's father for one's share of the inheritance was unheard of. In effect, one would thereby say, Father, I wish you were already dead. Because the inheritance is left behind, right? Such a statement would not go over well even today. And in a society stressing obedience to one's father, it would have been a serious act of rebellion for which the father could have beaten him or worse. Here it is, the son is asking the father to die. And here it is that we see the story of our own lives. That we, we once rebelled against God. What did, the, what did the Jewish people say at the time of Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. But what's the father's response here? He, he, it just says this in uh, verse 12, and he divided his property between them. He just gives him the inheritance. Tim Keller calls this the prodigal God, meaning reckless, because God is so reckless in his love for us. Because here's what it says. This is what Craig Keener says. He says that the father grants the request means that most of the hearers will not identify with the father in this parable. From the start, they would think of him as stupidly lax to pamper such an immoral son. What the father does in that time is so unimaginably foolish. It's the reckless love of God for us. And so this son, and this is the story of our lives. We go off and we do our own things in our sin and the desires of our flesh. And he comes back and he's like, maybe I can be a slave, a hired servant, which is a slave. Maybe I can be a slave in the father's house. But this is what the father does instead. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And their son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And they celebrate. I love that image. That while we were still a far way off, God came running after us by sending his son to come to us. You know, in, the, in that time period, it was unacceptable for the patriarch of the family to run. That was embarrassing. 
It was shameful for the father to run, but the, but the father in this story endures shame. Just as Jesus endured the shame of the cross to come after us when we were still a far way off. You begin to lock into the story of the prodigal son. You begin to lock into the story of how far Jesus came. And not only how far Jesus came, but how much the, the treasures of the inheritance that he bestowed upon us. Because it says here that he gave him the best robe. And, and, and Craig Keener says, you know whose the best robe is? It's actually the robe of the father. Jesus comes for us and he gives us his very own robe. So we don't have to be caught in the, the pigsty eating, eating the pig's food in our sin and the desires of our flesh. No, he gives us, he brings us out of darkness and then bestows upon us the fullness of our inheritance as children, as sons and daughters. He gives us a ring. What's the ring? You know this? It's a, it's a, it's a symbol of the Father's authority. He's saying, I give you my signet ring because I'm giving you authority over my house. He gives him shoes. Slaves don't have shoes in those days. It's only the sons that have shoes. You begin to lock into the story of a God that gave it all for us is just as 1 John 1 says, or 1 John uh, 4 says, if God so loved us, beloved, we ought to love one another. There's, there's, no, there's no way around that. There's no way to, to, to take shortcuts or bypass and so I want to close with this. Uh, there's this verse that I really love in 1 John uh, chapter 3. And um, I just love it. It just makes my heart tender toward the Lord. It might not be fully relevant, but it says this, 1 John 3, 2. And we'll close with this. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. God is so tender to us. It's like it's saying, listen, I know that you're scratched up and bruised. I know that you're not perfected in love yet. But there will be a time when we see Jesus face to face, and just by seeing him for who he is, we're utterly changed. We're just utter. I mean, what kind of man is this that when you just see him, you're utterly transformed? And there's coming a day when all of the, the scratches and bruises upon our lives, our inability to love well, our, our, the, the, the desires of our flesh that wa wage warfare against us, we just look at this man, Jesus, and everything's taken away in a moment. Until that day, on this side of eternity, <laughs> the more we encounter Jesus for who he is, it says, when we see him as he is, we're utterly transformed. So it's not as if we begin to grit our teeth and say, I just got to love more, which sometimes it will feel like that. But my prayer for us this morning is that we just stare 
at the perfection, the tenderness of God's love. And as we see God's love as it is, we're utterly transformed. We're utterly transformed. And we carry the tender love of Christ, that mark of the true believer, every, with us everywhere we go. And so I'll just pray for us. God, you're so faithful, you're so kind, you're so good to us. And uh, you, you're just so crazy in love about us as your children. I pray right now, Lord, that there would be a baptism of love upon our congregation, Lord. That you would mark this congregation as a congregation that is marked by a radical love. The radical love of God. God, would you reveal your love to us this morning? It's nothing that man's words can accomplish. It's nothing that our efforts can accomplish. God, we need a fresh revelation of your love. God, we declare it this morning. We need a fresh revelation of your love. Because it is pleasing to you when we love our brothers and sisters. It is pleasing to you when we love our neighbors as ourselves, Lord. It's pleasing to you when, when we reach out to this hurt and broken world with love. And God, we say that we cannot do it by our own strength. God, allow us to fix our eyes with you. Allow us to lock our eyes with a God of love. The lover of my soul. And so, Lord, I, I thank you so much for my beloved brothers and sisters, Lord. I do pray that um, uh, this would go beyond today, Lord, that we would carry it with us for the rest of our lives, Lord, that we'll be locking into your love, evermore pursuing the fullness of your love. In Jesus' name.